Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. We are talking about The Traitor Queen by Danielle Jensen today. This is the second book in the series. We covered her first book, um, Bridge Kingdom, back in February. And we love the series so much that we wanted to also do a podcast on the second one. So we're going to be talking about that today. I am going to um, do an overview of our characters um, since it's been a while. And Marissa will do the plot. So Lara, our main heroine, she is the daughter of the king of Meridrina and now the exiled wife of Arryn, the king of Ithacana. At the end of the last book, she was forced to flee from her new husband and country due to accidentally sending invasion instructions to her home country. She is a fighter and manages to, manages to survive situations that others would not, earning her the nickname Little Cockroach. Arryn, the king of Ithacana and Lara's husband, he cares greatly for his country and unwillingly still loves Lara. He was kidnapped by the kingdom of Meridrina and is being tortured for additional information on his country. Silas Veliant, king of Meridrina and Lara's father. He is a man who always gets what he wants. His country is starving, but despite that, he launched a war and at the end of the last book attacked Ithacana. Saren, also known as the Magpie or Master of Intrigue or Spymaster, he is incredibly cool. He tortured Lara and her sisters in the first book. Serena, one of Lara's half-sisters, she was closest to Lara while growing up, and she is grateful to her for saving her life. Since the compound, she has found love, married her husband, and is pregnant. Karis, a prince of Meridrina, he is likely the heir to the country, but his father thinks he is inadequate. However, he proves himself to be rather conniving and scheming. He does not pick sides, but rather works towards what is best for him. He is also Lara's full brother. Anna. Arryn's sister. She is the princess of Ithacana. She is betrothed to the prince of Harendel. She was the commander of Southwatch, and she is rightfully furious at Lara. Aster, one of Arryn's commanders. He was strongly opposed to the union between Arryn and Lara. Jor, Arryn's captain of the guard and his friend. In the previous book, he was one of the characters who did not trust Lara. Leah, Arryn's friend and guard. Her boyfriend tried um, her boyfriend died trying to rescue Arryn from Madrinia. Taryn, Arryn's cousin and guard, she was friends with Lara before the betrayal and had dreams of leaving Ithacana to broaden her horizons. Nana, Arryn's grandmother, she was a spy for Ithacana in her youth. She spent a year in the king's harem and managed to escape by faking her death. Coraline, a member of the previous king of Meridrina's harem, who ends up playing a vital role to help Arryn escape. General Zara Anafra, the Empress's niece from Velkata, she played a part in the destruction of Ithacana, but sympathizes with Arryn and offers aid. We have a couple of locations. There's the Kingdom of Meridrina, Lara's home country. The country is impoverished. The citizens are barely getting by from harvesting crops. They have been told that this is due to high taxes of traded goods and high tolls put in place by Ithacana.
At the end of the previous book, they successfully attack Ithacana and almost wipe out the country. Kingdom of Ithacana, Arryn's home country, the country had to constantly fend off attacks from other nations due to their access to the bridge. Normally, they are able to fend off the attacks, but in the last book, Lara's instructions made it possible for the country to be invaded and conquered. The main island is Arenhal, which is well protected by both nature and Ithaconian inventions. And finally, we have Herondel, the country north of Ithacana. It has offered to be a safe haven for Ithacanian refugees. That's it for our characters and locations. Marissa, do you want to pick up with the plot? I would love to pick up with our plot. The Traitor Queen opens with our main characters separated. Arryn, former king of Ithacana, is being held prisoner by Silas Veliant, the king of Meridrina. His kingdom has fallen to Meridrina, and the majority of his people are safely hidden on Arenal, which was Ithacana's greatest secret until recently. Lara, our heroine, is being detained in Arenal until Anna, Arryn's sister, can decide what to do with her. The Ithaconians are calling for her death, but Lara convinces Anna to spare her life so that she may seek out her sisters and, with their help, free Arryn from King Silas. However, she must find her sisters first. She leaves Arenal and returns to Meridrina to the mountains bordering the Red Desert where she was raised in hopes of discovering at least one of her sisters. In a mountain village, she discovers her sister Serena, who she was closest to, as well as two other sisters, Bronwyn and Cresta. They are wary of her at first, demanding explanations for why she chose to poison them rather than to tell them of their father's plan to kill all but one of her, her sisters. Lara shares her side of the story, and they agree to help her. Cresta and Bronwyn set off to find their their other sisters while Serena and Lara make for the place where Lara is set to regroup with Jor, Arryn's second in command. As this is happening, Arryn is being tortured each day by Saren, the magpie, either physically or psychologically. Many Ithaconians attempt to rescue him and each time they are caught, tortured, killed, and hung from the castle walls in the garden where Arryn spends a good deal of time. The guilt from his people dying begins to wear on him, and he considers ending his life to stop the rescue attempts. However, Karis Veliant, Silas's son and heir to the throne, convinces him to play the game just a little longer. The king summons Arryn to a royal dinner where Arryn is introduced to Coralyn, one of the members of the king's harem, who, he, who the king inherited when his father died. Coraline hints that the women of the harem have not forgotten how the king violated their families by stealing their daughters from them, and that they may be willing to help him. Arryn. He directs her to contact an Ithaconian spy who works as a jeweler in Meridrina. Lara, her sisters, Jor, Leah, and Arryn's grandmother are meeting in the back of the jeweler's shop attempting to form a plan to infiltrate the king's fortress and rescue Arryn, and are making little headway, as entering the castle is extremely challenging, and leaving is basically impossible. During their meeting, Coraline appears at the jeweler's shop to convey Arryn's message, and while Lara and company initially think their cover has been blown, they end up having a reunion with Coraline. With her help, and the help of the harem, they form a plan to free Arryn. The night arrives for Arryn's planned rescue. 
Laura and several of her sisters masquerade as harem members and perform a dance for the king to serve as a distraction. They are successful and kill a number of guards. Aaron is liberated from his chains, courtesy of Coraline, and they make a thrilling escape from the castle with Zara, the niece of the Valkaran Empress. Aaron has agreed to help Zara escape in exchange for help from, from Karis. Aaron initially struggles with his feelings for Lara as they escape. He does not trust her, is furious with her over her betrayal, and is resistant to the escape plan that Lara has crafted. However, he concedes to follow the plan, and they manage to escape to a cave where Aaron's grandmother is hiding with Lara's sisters, readying them for the next leg of their escape plan. Freeing Aaron from captivity is only one step in the process of liberating Ithacana. Aaron's sister has gone north to Herondale, where she, where she will, has agreed to uphold the treaty and marry the Herondelian heir, provided that they will ally with Ithacana against Maradrina to liberate Northwatch, the northern part of the coveted bridge. Aaron may be free, but he has no allies and thus no way to liberate the other parts of the bridge, Southwatch or Midwatch, but Lara has a plan. The morning after Aaron's liberation, Lara and Aaron take off for Valkata, where he will make a plea for aid with the Empress. Shortly after taking off, they are, they are tracked and followed by King Silas's men, which drives them into the heart of the Red Desert, a deadly place to be. Their pursuers are taken out by a sandstorm, and Lara and Aaron just barely make it into the compound where she was raised and trained as a child. Ara and Lara find a camel carrying a dead man wandering the desert, and once the dust has settled and they've collected what little supplies they can find, they make their way across the desert. The journey is hard, and they run into trouble once they reach the oasis in the middle of the desert, but they are able to make it to the outskirts of Valkata. In the time they've spent together, Aaron's feelings grow even more complicated. He realizes that he forgives Lara for what has happened, but he also realizes that there's no way he can bring her back to Ithacana as his queen. His people won't stand for it, and after her betrayal, they may harm her and or question his rule. Lara is also aware of this and announces that she plans to leave Aaron once they have reached the city and he's able to meet with the Empress about becoming allies. Once they arrive in the city, they meet with Jor and quickly arrange to see the Empress. However, things do not go as planned. The Empress is still angry with Aaron for marrying Lara, a Meridrinian, her enemy, and makes her allyship conditional on Lara's death, which Aaron refuses. Aaron decides it's time for them to head back to Ithacana, allies or no, and meets up with Zara, the Empress's niece, who is really the person he came to barter an alliance with. Zara seeks to end the war between Velkata and Meridrina, whereas the Empress would have it continue until Ithacana and Meridrina both fall. They make an arrangement for Zara's forces to help liberate Southwatch, and Zara arranges for Jor and Aaron to make their way to Ithacana. Lara attempts to leave Aaron behind, but he pulls her back into his boat after they are nearly attacked by Meridrinians. Jor, Aaron, and Lara stealthily make for Ithacana. Unsurprisingly, when they arrive, the Ithacanians they meet are distrustful and extremely upset to still see Lara alive and with the king. Aaron makes it clear that he no longer considers Lara the queen or himself married to her. She is just there to help. Aaron shares his plan for liberating Ithacana and they quickly set to work to implement it, communicating via horn signals between the islands. 
They first liberate Gemeyer Island, where Ithacana's prisoners are being held, and Laura sustains a deep stab wound to her hip while attempting to save Aaron's cousin, Taryn. They are able to liberate Gemeyer, and that evening, Aaron seeks out but is unable to find Laura. She has wandered to Aaron's grandmother's old hut in search of medical supplies, which is where Aaron finds her, attempting to stitch her hip back together. He does that for her. The tension that has been building between them for weeks reaches a boiling point, and they make love on the table in Nana's hut. Laura falls asleep shortly after, and when she wakes, she's lying next to Aaron, but things aren't all right. Aaron indicates that sleeping together was a mistake and that he must separate from her for himself and for his people, and he leaves Lara in the hut. Though Aaron had originally planned for them to liberate Midwatch in the, the place in the middle of the bridge the next morning, he gives the command for them to take off that night after he returns to camp. They are able to successfully take Midwatch and receive news that the other outposts have been secured as well, but things have all come together a little too easily. They soon receive a signal from Aaron, from Aaronall. It is being attacked. Silas had redirected his forces away from the bridge to Ithacana's Haven, where most of its civilians are. Aaron and the rest of his troops make for Aaronall, hoping they won't arrive too late. Lara wakes the next day to find herself alone on the island, heartbroken, frustrated, and still injured. As she ponders what to do next, she sees that Aaronall is burning in the distance. Realizing that it must be under attack, she finds a boat and makes for Aranal. Will Lara and Aran make it to Aranal in time? Or will they and the Ithacanians die defending it from King Silas's forces? To discover more, you'll have to read the book or you can keep listening. This is your spoiler warning. We will be talking about spoilers. So there's your warning. I think I like this one like even better than the first one and I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah. Um I think I don't know if I like one more than the other. I don't know, it's kind of hard to say because they were both just good in their own ways, but this one was so action packed and I felt like it was more so in the last one, right, we were waiting for the buildup to be where finally the attack happens, mm -hmm. right? And so it was all this like suspense that way. Yeah. Whereas this book is a different type of suspense. It's very action-y suspense yeah. instead of waiting suspense. So I guess it kind of depends on what you like, sort of. Yeah. Um, but I think the first book kind of tortured me more than the second one. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because there were so many moments in the, like, in the first book, after she writes that letter to her father, you're waiting for the, the penny to drop. Like, you know, it's going to happen. And so that yeah. waiting and waiting, and then it finally does. And it just rips your heart apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a different type of anticipation in that book. In that book, you're waiting for, like, you're, you're waiting for, that ultimate betrayal to come through and then in this book honestly in this book I was waiting for the main character to die like I was I felt like probably 60 to 70 percent confident that she wasn't going to make it to the end or she'd make it to the end and die at the end well she did die yeah like <laughs> so yeah I was and I was convinced I was like she's she's gonna die she's gonna kill her mm -hmm. 
um, she's going to kill her off, which I wouldn't have just been disappointed if that happened. It would have been a very interesting ending too. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I would have been, I I was waiting for her to like be dead, dead. Um, I I was pretty sure that that was going to happen. And I, I wouldn't have been upset with that. Let, well, that's not true. I would have been upset, but it wouldn't have decreased how much I enjoyed this book. Because I feel like uh, our main character said, I, I just feel like it would have been an interesting plot point. And I, I, after the way that R enacted in this book, I, I don't know what it is about me that I, that I want the main character to die so that the male lead will have to suffer emotionally. But <laughs> after the way that he acted in this book, I was like, he deserves to suffer for the rest of his life. I hope Laura dies. <laughs> that's terrible I don't know why I'm like this I feel that way a lot of the times too especially for Amelia Hudgens books but yeah I didn't, I didn't feel that way for this book um not towards the end like that anyway so I was oh I was fuming when he left her after um having sex yes oh, I, I was too was the gall oh my gosh the audacity the audacity of this man well, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. This was yeah. like you, you could have just not had sex with her to start with. Yep. She's like, li- you literally just stitched up a deep hip wound and then you turned her over and boned her on a table. Like mm-hmm. she's lost a lot. Like, <laughs> and then you're going to blame her and bail on her. No, sir. I'm not here for that. Yeah, I was. I wanted him to suffer. Yeah, emotional suffer, not any more physical suffering. I feel like he probably got, but I mean, gosh, I think for me the reason why, like towards the end, I didn't feel like I wanted wanted her to die to like get back at him was just because he was very clearly suffering anyway throughout this whole book. So I was able more to like empathize with him. You know. Yeah. Just. I mean, because he was in a bad, he, she yes. was in a really bad situation. She so did. I, I, I know. As like, I hope she dies to get back at him as I am when I read some books. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's, it's been rough for him. It, yeah, I know. It's been rough. I recognize all of those things. This is just who <laughs> I am as a person. <laughs> I just, and just want her heroine to die. <laughs> I mean, but I'm, I'm, I like that she lived. I think it would have been an interest. Honestly, I think it might've been interesting if they had both ended up dying. Um, but I do, I do. I am pleased that she is able to live because I want her to get to the point where she's, you know, she's been basically fighting, getting close to or loving anyone for her entire life because of how she raised. And I, I want this for her. I want her to be happy. I want her to have someone to love her and to care for her. So I, I like that she lives and I like that her conflict with Aaron is resolved. It's yeah. really interesting to me that it's like easy to get into the palace and hard to get out. Well, easy, I, like I think, it. is kind of relative there. They make it sound like it's really hard to get into the palace. And like once you're in, you only get to go certain spots and that 
so well they said several times like oh getting in is the well probably I think they said easier part yeah like relative to getting out getting in is the easy part right yeah I think it's interesting too uh Silas sounds like a dirtbag but I guess he's a good planner if he's Mm -hmm. got all of these protective measures in place so that's maybe one redeeming quality I guess I mean not good enough (laughs) no it's not because he's terrible yeah yeah he's he's awful and and Laura even so she tells um the the Vicanians, I guess, to stop sending people after him mm-hmm. and to stop going after him because she knows what's going on and they keep doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how later on, like in the book, when they um manage to save him or fi- and you know, find out how kind of like mess that how much that messed him up, um, how she doesn't go, I told you to stop sending him people, like yeah uh because yeah yeah. I know there are several moments in this book where I want to say I have that same thought how does Laura not say I told you so Mm -hmm. yep she has a lot of restraint she's so clever I love her character she's so good at because she's so I mean she's so well versed and how things are done in Maradrina. And I feel like they, the Ithacanians, even Aaron, they kind of miss out on using her as a resource or not trusting her as a resource. Because she knows so much. She understands psychologically their motivations and what they're likely to do so well. It's like they undercut her or underestimate her. Definitely. And I think a lot of that comes from like, they also really don't trust her. Yeah. You know, because she is responsible for the downfall of their kingdom yeah sort of thing <laughs> um but I agree. I, that that little thing <laughs> <laughs> that little that speed bump <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just you know lots of deaths so, yeah um, yes you yeah know. just the loss of the kingdom yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of Karis I'm really curious about Karis he reminds me a little bit of Eris's character from A Court of Thorns and Roses. So I think that he's really clever and appearance is kind of deceptive in this and how we're presented him. I'm really curious about, so the next book will be about him and Zara and I'm really curious about it. I think that he is maybe not a dirt bag like his father is. I think that he might genuinely be interested in the welfare of other people, particularly Zara. He made me laugh a little bit. Some of those interactions with him and Aaron. Yeah. He was like, I wonder if this is how uh, parents feel when they see their child walk or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That was great. So he's like a jerk, but I love him. Yeah. He's snarky. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be really good. I, I want to see. Um, I'm excited for the book too. Yeah. There's a funny, when he first walks into the garden where Aaron is the, his friends have been tortured and hung up on the wall and Karis walks in and he's like, goodness, Sarah, and don't you have deep, d- deep, dark rooms in the castle for doing this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, he's a, uh, he's an interesting character. 
I yeah. like that. So they they like consider him to be lesser because he he's a philosopher and he likes to study and he's not super focused on or interested in like making war or things like that. And it's like, why do y'all have to hate on the nerdy guy? There's I, there's so much he could do without being like a warrior though, you know? Yeah. Work on the infrastructure of the country. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe be smart about your war. I think the way that they talk about the conflict in this book, it's like they're both, both sides are fighting for the same crappy piece of land for what? So having someone who's less focused on just continuing this war and more interested in philosophy and understanding why we're at war and, you know, making a cost benefits chart <laughs> might be a helpful option since the country is basically bankrupted itself at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed getting to see more of Lara's sisters in this story. Yes. That was a really nice element to the characters and just the, the story development in general, particularly like with Serena, which is one of the characters that her and Bronwyn, are the ones that we probably saw the most of as her sisters. But Serena, she's just so funny. And I can see why she would be the one that Laura was the closest to. Yep. She's really interesting. mm -hmm. She seems to be also one of those sisters more in touch with their emotions. Yeah. Too. You know, she's managed to move on isn't mm-hmm. right because you know she's mentioned she's like more nights than not i wake up hating ithacana um and with these nightmares so but she's been able to embrace love i think probably easier than the other sisters have or maybe they haven't even tried you know we know that um lara really struggled with it mm-hmm. um and then so I think Serena was a good counterpart to her. Yeah. I agree. She says some really funny stuff in here. I'm trying to find it. She makes a comment about how Laura is not capable <laughs> of dealing with her feelings, which I think is super funny because she's not, It's you know, when you've been raised to be a warrior and a machine and to not accept love, it would be hard to finally accept it once it comes along um and that is an interesting thing that kind of differentiates her from serena laura was always the one that was trying to be the best to try to go the hardest or that's kind of what we're to be the survivor they call her the little cockroach because she's always like against all odds she's like coming out and she talks about how serena never really strove for that she tried to be like the middle of the road middle of the road character or not character, but middle of the road in terms of performance and how when they put, I think it was the magpie put her in like a pit to be buried alive. Like she failed that, that component of her torture training every time. And so I could see how for her, at least being forced into this role of being, being, 
the queen of Ithacana, you know, from like the first book to now would be an appealing because there's no freedom in it. She talks and Laura, she, Laura talks about how Serena would have chosen wide open spaces, something big and airy because that fear of being trapped and constrained was so overwhelming for her. And that role that she would have been forced into as queen of Ithacana would have been the same, the same. There's no freedom in that. She doesn't have any ability to choose what happens. So I love when the sisters all work together and the escape. Oh my gosh. It was harrowing. Oh gosh. I was so stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love when uh, Silas Silas realizes what's happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And Oh, it's so great. And um, Laura kicks wine in his face. Yes. I loved everything about that scene. It was mm-hmm. spectacular and clever. But, the way that they masqueraded as harem dancers and like the music stops and suddenly half of the people in the room are dead. Like, yes, it's great. <sighs> And I love, I think it's, um, Coraline says, oh, the harems girls will be here soon. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's not the harem. It's their kids coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so yeah. good. And then the general escape, all of the twists and turns that, um, and the different chases that mm-hmm. she led the guards on to confuse them. Yeah. Um, was fantastic. I mean, the way that they coordinated the explosions and yeah. the use of like the, crossbow with the rope that they slid down and it I mean it was kind of like a game of mousetrap or like the the Rube Goldberg machine you know where it's like one thing after the other after the other which sets off another thing like it was so uh, there's just the planning of this escape it it was so coordinated and down to like the what like down to timing and and that's part of what I think makes it so stressful because if one thing, just like one little thing goes wrong, that sets off, like that throws the whole thing off. And so they had to be so, and that's part of what, so I started to get irritated with Aaron, even though I know he suffered, his people have suffered. I know, I know, I know, but I still got irritated with him when he, they, like Laura <laughs> put in all of this work to organize this escape plan. And all of these people came together from all of these places. And Aaron is like, I'm not going to follow you. <laughs> I'm not down with this. I'll figure it out on my own. It's like, just do it. Arn annoyed me so much in that scene too, though. But mainly because there were several times where he goes, this like, we're over. This doesn't change anything. It's like, you are in the middle of escaping from your torturer to get back to your country. Like, why are you doing this now? Yes, there's a time and a place and this is not it. <laughs> this is not it. What are you doing? <laughs> and it, <laughs> and it's just because it reminds me of Futurama. Um, if you watch Futurama? It's been a long time since I watched Futurama. So Bender, the robot, um, dumps the Planet Express ship while they're trying to get away from a fight, right? Mm-hmm. And what he says is, call me old fashioned, but I believe a dump should be as memorable as it is devastating. And I was like, this is, this is what Aaron did. <laughs> like, worst timing. We're over. Yeah, that's fine. Go up the wall so that we can escape. My sister just got shot for you. Uh, yes. So come on. Yeah. And I love how she's more capable than he is in that scene. 
Me too. In general, just for like from the escape moment all the way until they um, arrive at Balcada. Yeah. Right? Yes. She just takes the lead and she's awesome and just yes. able to do almost everything. She would. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And he he irritates me in that too because he's like doubting her and questioning her. I'm like, um, are you from here? Do you know what the land is like? Have you been in the desert? Like she talks about when they get to the oasis, how they they may have to kill some people so that they can get some supplies or whatever to escape. He's he says, I don't, I'm not comfortable with killing people. She's like, okay, but you don't really know what the situation is like. And then he ends up killing people mm-hmm. because that's what these people are like. What did she say to you? Yeah. We ran into this in the last book that we're, or not the last book, but in Shadow of Night, when the main character was like, I may know a little bit more about this situation than you do or have a different perspective. And the, the, the male lead is like questioning and doubting them. I'm like, mm. yeah, I, oh, that mm. was so frustrating. <laughs> and then the scene, it made my eyes watch. So when they're in the sandstorm mm-hmm. and the sand is like buffering their faces and she's like, drags oh oh my god everything that she does for him she wraps his face up drags him inside the compound right realizes that he's a weakling and can't handle not having water drags herself back out into the sandstorm to get him some water right and her eyes get all scratched up right and my eyes hurt for her yeah I can't imagine how painful. Yeah. Like they started, my own eyes started watering because I was like, oh, because your eyes get so dry. I mean, it's bad enough to have an eyelash stuck in your eye. Sand? Mm -hmm. Pretty sand stuck in your, and they talk about how she's going to have to flush them and her eyes are just streaming with tears Mm -hmm. and puffy and swollen. Oh, it's, it hurts. It hurts to read about. I yeah. The Oasis, right? So, um, Lara hobbles the camel and leaves the camel and um, Aaron strapped to it and goes to the Oasis to steal. And in order to create a diversion, I love that she throws meat on top of the camel's like backs. Mm. so that the dogs will chase them and cause like I just thought I feel like that could be in some sort of like ridiculous like movie or something Mm -hmm. you know just this funny scene causing this chaos um but she gets herself caught yeah which is bad tis yes and that scene like er, her being like in the stocks Mm -hmm. right I don't know how she wasn't like more upset I would have been furious right like she says she imagines all of these ways sort of of like getting back at them yeah but I still don't feel like uh she didn't seem as upset either (sighs) like as I would be I felt like so there's one part where she she says something like oh I don't care what they throw on me or something as long as it's not I, I don't remember what it was but I know I would just be furious and humiliated. And she takes it so well, I feel like, in comparison to how I would take something like that. 
Right. I would take that very poorly. I think she's conserving her energy. So she talks about how she thrashes around and she tries to escape. But once it becomes clear to her that she's going to have to do this on her own, I think she starts to maybe save her fury for when she has to try to escape from being stuck in this in the stocks. When they, the author talks about her sunburn, ugh, that hurt me. They talk yeah. about, I think the guy comes up and like slaps her on the bottom or touches her back or something. Like her skin is so burned. And he talks about wanting her to cook in the sun. Oh, it hurt me. At some point, I know her sunburn gets so bad that it blistered and she like falls into a fever and everything. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that was awful to read. Yeah, it was. And then Aaron, Aaron, he pops up acting like a drunk and she starts to feel like he's not going to help rescue her. Not that she needs it because our our little cockroach is super capable. But she talks about how he basically ignores her and doesn't make it seem like he's going to do anything to help her. And, and she, she feels pretty sorrowful about that. And he acts surprised when she conveys that to him. And I don't, I don't think her belief that he's not going to help her is all that surprising. She's, she's disappointed. And she talks about how she's done all of this stuff to try to help but apparently it's not enough but he acts surprised and I don't think based on how he's treated her so far that it's really that surprising she feels that way not at all yeah um I feel like he has kind of a distorted view of some things Mm -hmm. you know especially when it comes to her like to him I think it's clear to him that he loves her so obviously he's never gonna do anything like that to her but he's not recognizing that she doesn't know that right you know yeah and mm, he's he frustrated me so much in this book so in this like second half of the book she puts herself in I mean actually basically throughout this whole book really she's putting herself in so many like dangerous situations and um I feel like especially later on in the book she just keeps doing it more right Mm -hmm. like when she gets that massive cut on her hip Mm -hmm. and stitches it up and then he's gone and instead of being like oh I guess I should heal she runs and rips her stitches open and does all of this stuff it was like ah jumps in the water I bet that burned bet it burned do you think she's trying to die I think she wouldn't be upset if she died I don't think she's like I don't think she's necessarily like I want to die. Like mm-hmm. if she was given the option of not dying, she would take that. Yeah. But she also doesn't care if she does die. Right. I think she's willing to die. Not that she, because she, I think at another, at a point in the book, she says she wants to live, but I think that if it, if it's going to require it, she's willing to make that sacrifice right. for Ithacana or for Aaron. How did you feel about her? standoff with her father oh I loved it that was such a good moment because in the last book 
it, well, in, a, in the majority of this book, we're building to that point where we have this standoff. And she, in this part of the, in this book, like the intention is to rescue Aaron and then leave him and still hunt down the king and avenge her, herself and Ithacana and her sisters. And it was such a good moment. And he's like, condescending to her and thinks that he gets the upper hand and she ends up getting harmed intentionally so that she can stab him. And I, I just loved it. His death was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I love that she beat him, even though she was like already half dead. Basically, yeah. She still managed to best him. Yeah. Oh, like humiliating the death for him, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think it's a really good example of just because you're the bigger, stronger person doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win. And for someone, so they talk about how Lara is like a, a shorter person, person, she's a small, she's super muscular, but when you're the smaller opponent, you have to know how to fight larger opponents and how to best other people. And so when they trained her as a kid and they brought in all of these other opponents they were setting her up to be successful in this situation half dead fighting a larger opponent after being exhausted already and still being victorious and i think part of that goes to just our resilience too she's incredibly resilient and just a a force And at that point, like, like what else, what else is there to lose at that point to you? Why not give it your all? She's basically kind of decided that she's already going to die. So after Lara kills her father and the sharks don't eat her, the storm is rolling in and I think it's Leah maybe and Anna they've run down to the cavern where Aaron and his people are and they were defending Aaron all from Meridrina's forces and they're yelling at him and yelling at him and and they're talking about getting Laura and rescuing her and he's like okay let's go get her and they're like no she's in the water and it's this like terrifying moment and then there's a storm surge and she is thrown into this gate it was such a it was such a stressful scene. Like I was I was waiting for her to die, to drown. If it wasn't her dad that killed her and the sharks that didn't eat her, I thought for sure she was gonna drown in this scene. I mean she does. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I I agree. I thought she was gonna be dead dead. Um, especially so like she gets stuck going under it. Uh-huh. Right. And she has to take a breath. And so Aaron sees those bubbles coming up and freaks out, which obviously, mm-hmm. you know, that was, it was so stressful. Yeah. Oh man. It was such a hard scene to read too, because he pulls her out of the water and he's doing chest compressions and Jor's like, you need to let her go. She's not coming back. And he says, you know, he said, like he, He says, I love you. I need you. Please come back. It's so so hard. It is. And yeah, at that moment, I thought she was dead. Dead, dead. Yeah. I thought she would not be coming back. Yep. Yep. 
Oh man. It was so good, but I was very stressed out reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I can enjoy this kind of stress. So RN says, awake or asleep, all I see is your face. All I hear is your voice. All I feel is you in my arms. All I want is you. Which made me go, aw, because that's Mm -hmm. so sweet. And then he leaves her. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt, mm, I bet uh, she felt really used, (laughs) I wonder. Yeah. Because, especially because he says all these sweet things to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it felt sort of like he was just trying to get into her pants. I know that wasn't what was happening, Mm -hmm. but I definitely would have woken up and been like, okay, so you just told me all of this really sweet stuff. You basically told me you love me and now you're gone. Like, it feels like a trick. Yeah. He tried to trick me, even though his words were sincere and that wasn't what he was actually doing. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have a great grasp on his actions and how they affect others sometimes, I feel like. Right. Well, and his emotions, too. You know, Laura struggles with addressing her emotions, but I think he does as well. Mm -hmm. This is not an After Dark episode, so I won't get graphic. But when they do have a penetrative moment on the table... And he, I just, after battle, when you're sweaty and covered in other people's blood and bodily fluids and gory matter and dirt and like your hand, like he, he washed his hands so that he could stitch her up. So at least we know his hands are clean, but it just sounds really gritty. It sounds unpleasant. It sounds unsanitary. I don't think I could enjoy I would be thinking about germs. Yes. At least his hands are clean. Well, are they now at this point? He just had like his hands in her body stitching her up. They must be covered in blood now. Well, yeah, but they're not covered in dirt. Well, I guess that's true. At least blood came from her body. A lot of this episode is us talking about him being a jerk and leaving her after this. We obviously have really strong feelings about it. Yes. I mean, and that's the hard thing. He says some, he says some really sweet things. I highlighted them because they were really sweet. He says... Laura, no matter where you are in the world, if you need me, I will come for you. Um, He says, you are my GD damnation, but there will never be anyone but you. Since the day we met, there has never been anyone but you. I mean, it's just, you are my queen and I need you. Like, (sighs) He says all of these great things and he's really sweet and he was so likable in the first book. And so that's why it's hard, even though I understand his decisions and actions are coming from a place of him being hurt. It's hard in this book when he's unkind to her, especially in that moment. Yeah, it hurt my, it hurt my poor little heart. Your poor little heart. Uh, yeah. 
it it did because it was such like I feel bad for her yeah. you know for the way she's being treated and I also feel bad for him um because of what he because of his conflicting emotions and how confusing it must be and how she betrayed him but I mean that that's I feel like a good indicator for depth of character mm-hmm. recognize they're justified in feeling this way and, it, and it, obviously we have really strong feelings about it which is often a, an indicator for what I determine if something is good and enjoyable versus not if you're making me feel things it's probably good one of the major points that both characters make in this book is that there's really no no way for them to be together. Aaron makes the point that his his people won't accept Lara after how she betrayed them. Lara makes the point she knows that there's no way that she can go back and that they can't really be together. And so she's t- tried, tested by the the sharks in the water. That's how the Ithacanians determine if somebody is really guilty and a traitor or worthy of absolution, worthy of absolution is if the sharks don't eat, they put them in the waters, the chummy waters and the sharks don't eat the person. And so our uh, Lara passes the test and we're led to believe that she's forgiven of her betrayal and her actions because the sharks don't eat her. And Iron talks about how Laura questions how, even though this has happened, will the people actually forgive her? And Aaron says, you know, it'll be hard, but maybe they'll give her the opportunity to try. Do you, do you actually think that the Ithacanians would forgive and accept her? No, not at all. Like, this is a terrible political move for him. (laughs) It is absolutely horrible. And there is going to be, like, a revolution or civil war, and they're going to get themselves guillotined. Like, (laughs) this is what I... (laughs) Absolutely not. How are you going to get an entire country, basically, to forgive you like that? There will always be a very large portion of the population that is going to blame her. They don't know her personally. They weren't there when the sharks didn't eat her, Mm -hmm. you know? they might they're not superstitious maybe some of them aren't superstitious so it doesn't even matter to them their family their country everything was taken away from them and then their king their leader is like i love you like "Mm, nope they're gonna try to overthrow him and i mean i know it's probably not what she's gonna write but i feel like they would try to overthrow him and they both get killed for being traitors if this was the real world it would be like the french revolution yeah (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) People will be standing at the gates, guns in hand, (laughs) knives at their belt, ready for blood. I mean, I think in the story, the author would write it so that they would be forgiven or she would be, Lara would be forgiven and things would move on. And it would not be an easy road and things would be very challenging for a while. But and it sounds silly to try to make this like a real world application because it's so not real world. But I don't think that that's something that would actually happen in a real world type of scenario. 
so this book left me kind of wanting more. I'm so used to epilogues that take yeah. place, you know, a couple months later or something mm -hmm. to like kind of explain how everything wraps up or like, oh, look, they're all happy sort of thing. There wasn't one. It just ends. And I was like, yeah. excuse me, I need to know a bit. Like it ends when they're going to like greet their citizens. Mm -hmm. I want to know how that went. Did she get booed? <laughs> like, <laughs> tell me what happened. I need an epilogue. Even if it was like three months later, you know, they're making the tour around the country, you know, yeah. visiting all the islands. Personally apologize or something. I, I wanted more. Yeah. I agree. It's just something down the road would have been would have been nice, like six months, a year, just kind of an update on how Laura was reaccepted back into this country, into the hearts of the Ithacanians. All right, let's talk about our favorite quotes. Yes. So I picked two. I have just because a decision is hard doesn't mean you don't make it. And I think this is, so I know it said to Aaron, and I think it's something that's uh, really meaningful needed to be said to him because he struggles so much with like wanting to do something that's like the least amount of damage, but sometimes you just, no matter what, somebody's going to get hurt and you have, you're in a bad situation, you have to make a hard decision. Um, so I think it's something he really needed to hear and hopefully he's taken it to heart. I don't know if we really saw him take action with it, but but it was important. Um, and the next one is, um, so I have, you are a princess, she told herself, a queen, but above all, she was the little cockroach. <laughs> I love this because above all, she's a cockroach, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's a princess, she's a queen, so you think those things would supersede it, but, like, originally her nickname was the cockroach because she managed to survive everything, and I hate cockroaches so <laughs> much, but it's, it's a, it's a great analogy for her, and, um, yeah, that, that's the thing sort of that she clings to as well, during these situations mm. where that where she's really struggling. I'm going to jump off that and use this quote that I really liked when they're in the desert and Lara is struggling to get to their spring so that she can get some water and she's so tired. And the sand is blowing in her face. She says to herself, you are the queen of Ithacana. You will not be defeated by sand. I think I laughed out loud when I read that, but she, I'm, it's just, it speaks to her, her resilience and I, kind of her ability to pump herself up. She has all of these moments where it's like, I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated. And we, she, we talked about how she uses that little cockroach phrase is kind of her mantra. The thing that, that carries her through. Um, it's just another little situation where she, she's so fierce. Uh, there's there's one quote that I do really like and it's near it's like right at the end of the book when she is at the the portcullis so after killing her father being not eaten by sharks she gets to the gate that's keeping everybody out of Arenal and 
Aaron is holding on to her to try to save her. And he, she's still terrified of water. And he's trying to help get her under the gate so that he, he can pull her in before the storm obliterates things. And he, he tells her that she's going to have to swim deep under the water to get underneath the gate. And she says, I can't. And he says, you can. I have never once seen fear make a decision for you. I love that moment for them because up until this point, I mean, Laura, <laughs> everything that Laura has done has been so dangerous and there's been so much, so many opportunities where she could have been fearful. I would have been if you had told me that I had to, you know, run past a bunch of murderous snakes and jump off of a pier. And if I like, she's just so brave but she still has that vulnerability, those points of weakness. And this is one of those situations where Aaron is giving her that, that emotional support that, that you, you can do this, which she doesn't seem to need often, but it's nice for them that he's able to offer that for her. What are your final thoughts on this book? This book was just nonstop action and stress and things that made me feel things. Yeah, um, it was it was great. I'm excited um, for that next book. A lot of times, you know, I'm nervous when I come out with another book from a different character's point of view, mm -hmm. but I'm really hopeful for the next one, especially because the characters that she picked, I already find compelling. So, what about you? What are your final thoughts? I agree. I am really excited for the next book. I think it'll be very entertaining to read from Zara and Karis's perspective. I enjoyed this book so much. It, I mean, it really was. It was just like one thing after the other the entire time. I couldn't. I couldn't put this book down. I read it in one, in one go. So very enjoyable. All right. Well, that's it for. The Trader Queen by Danielle Jensen. Next week, just kidding, not next week. So we'll be releasing a special episode for April Fool's Day. We'll be discussing Buttception by Chuck Tingle. Um, we, we're excited about it. It should be, it should be something else, but it's going to be an after dark episode. So prepare yourself. And then after that, for next week, we'll be discussing Kingdom of Shadow and Light by Karen Marie Moaning. So we hope you join us for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.